on the seventh episode of Out of Play Area, we'll follow through with Mr. Benja's nomination from way back in episode two and sit to drink some scotch and Japanese whiskey with seasoned game dev Jeff Junio, a lead game designer at Jam City in Carlsbad, California. He's been in the game since the 16-bit Sega Genesis days. I call him Hefe, and we'll discuss how the heck he's sustained for over 30 years in this wild industry where devs usually don't average more than five. He shares his perspective on what it takes to be a lead and how he handles hiring. We'll also break down some key differences in developing free-to-play mobile games, comparing that with traditional console game development. We even touch on life at Rockstar San Diego where he worked on Midnight Club LA and more. Coming to us from the West Coast in the paradise that is San Diego, California, please welcome the Philippine powerhouse, the flip side of himself, Jeff Junio. Let's start the show. Bienvenido, bienvenue, welcome to the Out of Play Area podcast, a show by video game devs for game devs where the guests open up one-on-one about their journey, their experiences, their views, and their ideas. No ads, no bullshit. Join us as we venture far out of the play area with your host, seasoned game designer, John Diaz. Glenn 14, baby. It's all good. W- were you rocking again? I brought my Shibui. Mm-hmm. I think this is kind of the basic entry-level Shibui right here. Right, right, right. Little grain select whiskey. And we were talking about how these tend to be more balanced, more neutral. That's what you were schooling me on. Right, right. And then with me doing the scotch, obviously that's more kind of traditional scotch. So it's more peaty. It's got a little bit more earthiness to it, a little bit more spice, as opposed mm-hmm. to some of your bourbons, which is a little bit more sweeter. Another one that you might want to check out, just like some rye. Rye are like naturally kind of spicy, so they have a little bit mm-hmm. of spicy notes to them. Those are actually really good if you like old fashions, you know, even like whiskey sours, it adds a little bit of spice to it, so... Yeah, that, that sounds like right up my palate. This one, I looked at it, man. I'm always kind of reading labels. So whenever I see things like coconut or vanilla, uh-huh. like in the middle, <laughs> right, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me that. Give me that. Give me that. White pepper and jasmine. Well, you know what? Here's here's another one because you were telling me you're doing Japanese whiskey. I just picked up this bad boy. Mayo? Mayo. Mayo? I'm not sure. My bad to all my Japanese brethren out there and shit. But, you know, I just picked this bad boy up over at Costco. Mm-hmm. Man, this one... You want to talk about like, it's got a lot of characteristics. It's got a lot of flavors in it. It's totally different than what I've drank before. On the nose, you get caramel, you get a lot of sweets, you get some fruits. And then on the tongue, it's just, it's hard to describe. It's really, really interesting. There's a lot. The little bit I've been reading, man, a little Japanese approach to it is they definitely kind of go in and try to hit your taste buds from all angles. Yep. Yep. Mm. For sure. But hey, you know, uh, we didn't get it last time. Salute. Sante, cheers, brother. Yes. It's going to be a good one. Indeed. Mm. This just means we get more drink than what we originally anticipated. No complaints. I want to take a moment and send some love out to California for the way that you guys handle alcohol and the Costco selection. Because up here in Washington, they tax the hell (laughs) out of the alcohol and the spirits, bro. I'm paying at least another good 20%. On top uh, of the fact. Is that just Washington in general? Is there like a sales tax for liquor that's just artificially high? Yeah, they throw an extra alcohol sales tax uh, on it. Okay. Just specifically for alcohol. It's like the liter tax, right? If you're buying those big Costco bottles, right, right, they right. throw something on there. And they put 
the money to good use you can save on top of how much they make off taxing weed. But I remember alcohol was the most affordable in California. They treat you right down there. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't complain. You know, it's funny is when you bring that up. I don't know if you know, I used to live in Seattle like way back in the day. Nah, I did not know that at all. When I went to school, I went to the Art Institute of Seattle. That's what I went for, right? I went there for music video business. This was back in 90? Yeah, 89, 90, right? So this is long time ago, old man days and whatnot. I think I was like probably what, second, third grade. <laughs> Thanks for that. Here I am, you know, making moves in downtown Seattle, going to Queen Anne, going to all those spots and everything, you know? You know, it's so literally different, right? Ever since like yeah. Microsoft and Amazon came mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. Have you been back? When's the last time you were up here? Last time I was up in, in C-Town, I want to say that was, it's been at least a good 10, 15 years. Oh, wow. It's been a minute. So you haven't even seen it really since the transformation. No, nah, I, I remember last time I came back, there was some museum that was right up there. I can't remember what that street is parallel to Elliot. As you go uphill from Elliot and then whatever that main drag is, there's a museum or like a, is it a music museum or something that's right down there. That wasn't there when I went to school. And I used to walk by there because I used to dorm over at the Seattle U right up there on Broadway. Yeah. yeah and then yeah, yeah. sometimes I would take the bus. Do they still have the free bus like in the zone? They had those express buses that are handled at the state level versus the city level. Yeah. But yeah, the infrastructures had a lot of stress put onto it. Oh, I bet. The yeah. city has outgrown what it could handle. Well, I remember when I moved up, that was right before Californians started buying up property. That was like the, the Seattle gold rush was just like, yo, we can get some property up here for cheap. Compared to Cali. I mean, you know, relatively cheap for Californians anyway. And then all of a sudden, it was just like this migration of Cali folks going up north. And I remember it was just folks would be like mad, right? They were just illing on anybody in California. Are you from California? And y'all raising up our property taxes and all these other things, our property values. And I'm just like, hey, I'm just a student. (laughs) I'm just renting. It's like that, man. Transplants get a lot of animosity directed towards them, right? Fortunately for me, game devs, we roll thick as thieves. And luckily... A lot of homies is up here, right? Like Danny Bulla, Chris Barasa, mm-hmm. and Brian Parody, a bunch of other homies. And through one degree or two degrees of separation, I know a whole bunch of people at Bungie. I know a whole bunch of people at Microsoft 343. Then I get my way in, right? I'm not, I'm not a, like an outsider, so to speak. I don't get, I don't get treated the same. Oh, that's a good point about the uh, the industry, right? It's just incestuous like that. It's like you know one person, you know a million people. You know what I'm saying? If you're good, if yeah, you're yeah. Good. If you're not a dick. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, for sure, for sure. It's like that whole Kevin Bacon, how many degrees of uh, separation? It's like that. It's just crazy. But yeah, I mean, exactly. It's like as long as you ain't a dick, then you generally know everyone. Everyone knows you. I feel like you could have Kevin Bacon levels of connections because I was super surprised to hear that you've been doing this since Sega Genesis days, 16-bit cartridges. And I've been so looking forward to talking about this. But we mutually had an agreement. We walked through this. We talked about how Uh we're going to Benjamin Button it. Yep, yep. We're going to start from where you're at. Yep. And we're going to see where we end up. Okay, okay, yeah. This is an experimentation type of thing. So let's do it. Before we get going, man, I got a chance to reacquaint myself with your awesome photography. And something new that I'm privy to feels like you got your running legs back 
You right, running right. all up and down San Diego and all marathons <laughs> and all this thing just for fun. Yeah, I, I got a funny story about that. So what was it? Uh, holiday of 2018. The wifey comes up to me and just out of the blue, she says, hey, babe, you know, the La Jolla half marathon mm-hmm. is coming up like in April. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, we should train for that. I, I think that'd be fun. Wouldn't that be fun? And I looked at her like she had a horn growing out of her head. And I'm just like, woman, when did you ever hear me talk about doing anything running? And that would be fun. (laughs) What makes you think in the 20 some odd years we've been married that running was actually ever something that I'd be interested in? She goes, oh, come on, be fun. It'd be fun. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. If you want to do it, I'll be at the finish line. I will celebrate you and all these other things. But no, I'm good. But she kept at it throughout the holidays, you know. I think this she like started around. running. So no, not not necessarily. Let me let me get to the story. Okay. It's kind of fucked up, but it's it's kind of cool. But anyways, so <laughs> Shout she out kept. To Junio. She kept. Yeah, right. You know how she rolls. I, I love her, man. I love her. Man, she's just a little demon. But so she kept <laughs> pestering throughout the holidays, right? I think it was around Halloween when she brought it up. Said no. Thanksgiving said no. Christmas said no. And it was just one of those things where she was just like, come on, babe, I think it'd be a lot of fun. We'd enjoy it. All these other things. And I'm just like, nah. And then I think training started like early February of 2019. And so right before like the end of the month on January, she goes, babe, you know, training starts for this because there's a group that you can, you know, join up with and stuff like that. You can run in groups. They have all different skill levels from folks who've done marathons to triathlons to just straight up beginners. And, and I'm, I'm like, nah, I'm all right. If you want to do it, babe, yeah, go ahead and do it. We'll go ahead and pay for it. And so what she did, she hit me with, well, you know, babe, it's something that we can do together. We'd always been talking about like- Couples activities. Right? Because we're, we're empty nesting now. The daughter's away. She's married, got kids and all these other things. So it's just us. We've always been talking about like, hey, we should travel, do some things together. So she hit me on that level, dog. So of Ooh. course, what am I going to say? I'm not going to be a dick and say- Nah, babe, it's, it's all good. Just run by yourself. I said, <laughs> okay, you're going to come with that. All right, cool. I'll go ahead. And so we went for it, right? 20 years, yeah. man. 20 years. First time you guys want to run. Yes, right? That's awesome. So signed up for it. We did the class. What happened was is that she got sick like the week leading up to the first session, right? But she was a trooper. She she came out and joined us and we did it. I think we only ran like a mile and a half, maybe two miles. And when I'm saying run, it wasn't really a run. It was like run for like a minute, walk for like another minute type of thing, right? To kind of build up your legs and your wind and whatnot. But she was still struggling with that. And then she ended up getting even more sick. Damn, she stressed out the body on top of it, trying to recuperate and heal. Right. I mean, this is even beforehand. And so it was one of those things where she didn't come to the next session because she was still sick and she got worse later in the week. Mm -hmm. And then I think she came for the third one, but then she got like maybe a little bit of a relapse type of thing. And long story short, she never came back. Oh, you know, because one of those, yeah, because one of those things where two weeks became four, that became seven. And then by that time, we're trying to train for this marathon. And usually you want about 13 weeks of training. Yeah, like one week for each mile. By the time that she got well, she had already missed like half of it, right? And of course, you know me, I'm Filipino, so I'm cheap as fuck. I already paid for this shit, right? I'm going to do it, goddammit. If I just do one race, cool. At least I got my money's worth. So I went ahead and I continued doing it, right? And at first it was just like, why the hell am I doing this shit? By yourself. 
But as I started doing it, I, I started realizing, of course, benefits, you know, started feeling better, losing weight. But then I, I realized it was a really great form of meditation for me where I can yeah. just kind of run. Absolutely. You know, some people listen to music. I like to listen to podcasts because music tends to kind of throw me off because it'll mess with my cadence. If like a banging song comes on, I'll be like Prefontaine, like, yeah, <laughs> hell yeah, right? And then all of a sudden I'm like, I got no gas. Yeah. It catches you off guard. Your body starts doing something that the head exactly. didn't approve of. I ended up actually just falling in love with it. Ended up doing the half marathon. I did the La Jolla, which if you're familiar, a lot of hills. It goes through yeah, you know, the state bro. park up there. That shit ain't fun, man. Them Torrey Pine Hills. Uh-uh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh. And I remember everyone was asking me, goes, hey, you're running a marathon. What's your first? And I'm like, I'm doing the La Jolla half. And they'd be like, ooh, <laughs> you're doing that as your first? And I'm like, what, what, what? I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Elevation is no joke. But mm. I finished it and the rest is history. I've been running since. You caught the bug. Big time. Yeah, I ran my five this morning, so I'm feeling good. That's the shit. What's your, what's your pace? My pace, it varies when I'm like really trying to train. I'm trying to kind of do about 11, 11 and a half minute mile around there. Yeah, that's I awesome. tried pushing it to do like, you know, maybe a sub 10. And then I ended up actually kind of hurting myself. Yeah, listen to your body. Dog, I, I ain't a young buck like, like you. You look good as hell, Jeff. <laughs> you look good as hell right now what I'm seeing, bro. <laughs> so I have to learn to listen to my body. I think that was the biggest thing that I've learned in the last couple of years. The mind is willing, the body isn't quite there. And I've gotten better at listening to it as opposed to like trying to fight through it. That's key. Listen to your body mm -hmm. and take care of yourself. I love it because I know back in the day, especially what we do, we're chair mm -hmm. couch warriors, mm -hmm. right? We're at a mm -hmm. computer all day, bent over. Yep. The mind is doing all the work and the body's yep. just kind of sitting there. Sitting there, yep. It's critical. It's critical for us to move, right? Like we, everything's in balance. For our mind to keep doing what it's doing at a high level, we got to let the body move and stretch and play yep. and run yep. and swim. Yep. And I want to emphasize you live in the best place to live in game development by the beach. You got right. sun almost yeah. practically year round. You know, there's some yeah. fires you got to put up with from time to time. Yeah, yeah. But it was hard to leave San Diego and move to the frigid northeast <laughs> area of Montreal. But San Diego is where I put the most miles on my body, bro. Like, it just is so inviting to get out and get some sun, run mm -hmm. by the beach. It's, it's wonderful. And it is so many events, so many races. I'm so happy to hear when I caught wind and I saw your little notifications throughout the year. I'm like, yo, my man's running half marathons for fun. <laughs> like you're just running 13 miles. Just, just as like, it's a Tuesday. I'm like, damn, <laughs> God damn, Hefe. It's just weird how I got here. You know, at the end of the day, it was just like, I never wanted to run. And now I'm all about that. Wifey put you on and, and where's she at? I got bamboozled, dog. She bamboozled <laughs> the shit out of me. She's like, Hefe, I love you. I'm going to come up with this elaborate strategy to get you right? to drop some weight. All right. And then I'm going to love you even more. Hey, God bless her. It worked. So it's all good. It's all good. You are teaching all of us about longevity. And when I say longevity, you are still thick in the game. And you've made the shift from console to that crazy space of mobile free-to-play. Right. And it's a whole different world, man. Dude. And I, I just see you bobbing and weaving and rolling with the punches and, and chameleoning <laughs> and, and doing what you got to do, learning the new tricks of the trade and giving back to the young bloods. I'm ready for you to <laughs> lay it on me as to what goes on at Jam City and what you do over there. 
Yeah, so you mentioned I'm at Jam City, uh, formerly uh, SGN. That's what I knew them as, little cookie jam motherfuckers. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. So when I started, it was uh, 2014 when I came on, and we were SGN back then. And so you mentioned Cookie Jam, so that's the project that I'm on. So I'm the lead game designer for Cookie Jam. I had a team of about 13 designers. That's bigger than I would have suspected for a mobile project. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. It's pretty crazy. Now it's through other projects and whatnot. I've lost a couple of people, but it's still to like around nine. You know, I have nine designers that, that I'm managing and whatnot. I think that's the sweet spot, bro. I feel yeah. like ideally you're managing five people, right? Like if you got money to, money to spend, 10 if you're trying to stretch a dollar, right? But mm -hmm. beyond 10, bro, I don't know how you do it. It is a good number to be in just because in terms of just the logistics of managing, you talk about the kind of chameleon stuff. I mean, I, I wouldn't go that far for me. But that's kind of been my my thing throughout my career, where I've learned a lot of things along the way that kind of end up applying to me down the line, especially now. Outside of free to play, totally different model from traditional console mm -hmm. development, you know, traditional console design. It's just kind of like what this position specifically calls for is just management, right? And that's something that I never really ever did, right? And managing people. So it's just the whole management aspect of it and being a leader. You're not creating anything. You're solely in management. So you have a clear separation. Actually, no, I, I, I do both. So I'm still doing stuff on the other side of the ledger. There's multiple hats that I'm wearing, right? So there's one that I'm, I'm the manager, right? So I'm managing my team. Then I'm also working on features, right? So I'm, I'm doing design. So I'm still right in the middle of all that stuff. Is that paper design or how does that manifest? Let me backtrack then, because in order to kind of understand, it's like the idea of what free to play is. Right. Word. That game is live all, all day, every day. All day, every day. And it's being updated. There's always updates coming in, right? We have a re regular cadence. So give you an example. Every Tuesday, we're dropping 20 new levels, right? Every Tuesday. So we have, we have a cadence that just keeps going, keeps going. It's a machine that just keeps moving and moving. Right. That would that would explain how you need 10 designers then. Right. Because there's just an amount of content that just needs to be generated and continued supporting throughout the years. So that alone, you can just tell right there that that's that's a different kind of beast than what we're used to on console development. Right. Yeah. Every week. Right. It, it's interesting. Before I came to, to SGN, now Jam City, I was at Zynga. And that's really where I got my lessons as far as free to play, as far as the mobile mm. space. Zynga was trailblazing that space early on. Early man. on. Facebook gaming days, they, would, they yep. were teaching everybody else how to really make money in this space. That's where I started learning because generally speaking, you can't go into free to play mobile space with a console development design centric point of view or approach. Just look at what the final product is, right? You're talking about console development. You're talking about PC game development. Usually, at least back in my day, it was a disc, right? Or a cart. Mm -hmm. Now it's, you know, some DL. It's something that you get off from whatever portal, whatever it is that you're going to be downloading from. But at the end of the day, you're still downloading or you're still getting a final product, right? Yeah. You, you know, that you're developing. Tangible. You've been working on it for however long, and now it's released to the public, and now it's for them to consume. Nowadays, you know, obviously with patches, well, not, you can fix things, but at least back in my day, it's like once it was out, it was out, and you couldn't, you know, do anything about it. Now, it's constant. It's on 24-7, like you mentioned, right? It's and live. We're always sending out new events, new levels, and obviously constantly patches or just fixes or updates, yeah. right? And so for me, that was kind of the, the mind shift that I needed to take where it's just like, no, this thing's happening all the time. 
So that was my my first real adjustment was this idea of like, oh, this is happening all the time. I had to kind of switch up my thinking and switch up my approach. That's just in terms of operational type of things. Mm-hmm. Now you start getting into design. Well, it's free to play, which means that, hey, the game itself is free. You can go ahead and download it from whatever you want from the Apple Store or whatever choice of portals are to, to download the app. And how do they make their money? Well, they make their money from all these transactions, these little microtransactions. That's how they make their money. So real quick primer, usually what ends up happening is, is that we put the player to a point where they need to make a decision, right? And that decision usually hinges on time, right? Yep. You mentioned uh, Zynga. Their big thing back in the day was like, hey, you can get a bunch of lives. You get five or six of them. You lose those lives by losing a level. After X amount of time, you get another life replenished. Mm-hmm. And so that started basically this whole thing in terms of like, okay, well, hey, if you get five lives and you run out of lives, you can either A, wait for another five, 10 minutes or however long you know that rate is to, to, to get another life. Yep. Or, hey, spend another 10 coins, 25 coins, whatever it is, right? And we'll give you another life. And it's just like, okay, cool. And some people will be like, eh, I'll just go and wait, right? Yeah, for for sure. you know, that, that 10, 15 minutes. How valuable is your time? Exactly. Right? Or how how urgent or pressing is the challenge that got you, right? I I could definitely see that hook and that loop of like, oh, you think I'm not good enough, huh? All right, let me get back into this. Here, take a dollar, take two dollars, take three dollars. I'll show you. And then they just extrapolated that. And then they actually now start applying it to the actual winnability of a level, right? So you get to the end of a level and you're almost there right? You have one mm-hmm. or two objectives, or you're almost within sight of the finish line. You're so close. You're this close. What are you going to do? And it's like, oh, hey, maybe you want another five more moves. Maybe you want another five more energy, whatever it is, right? You know, for you yes. to be able to cross that finish, finish line or beat that level. Hey, 10 coins, come on, right? Mm-hmm. I like that it's not just one currency or one type of attack vector. Mm-hmm. It's really anything and everything. If I'm willing to pay for it, uh huh. Why not? Why not give it to me? Exactly. Right. And the little, the little dirty secret is, is that those levels are designed very specifically to do that. We elicit that. Where it's just like we're we're play testing these bad boys. We're making sure, like, hey, you can almost beat this level, and you might be one or two objectives short. You might be just an inch or two short of that finish line. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, hey, this happens quite a bit. No shit. We kind of do it by, by, you know, very specifically. By design. (laughs) Exactly. Let me ask you, if you have, let's say, a million person player pool, I'm sure the top 10% of players can get through it without having to buy anything. Yep, yep. So if you're really good, you never have to pay anything, but you have invested the time to get that good. And if you haven't invested that time to get that good, you just invest your wallet. And so that's how it kind of equal. I I think that's a fair trade-off, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's interesting. I don't want to get into numbers, but you'd be surprised where it's a relatively small percentage of what we call DAU, right? Your daily active users, mm. where they're actually the ones who are, quote unquote, paying for this game. The ones that come back every day. Right. Come back every day and actually spend. So mm-hmm. it's interesting, right? We're okay with like, hey, you know, 90 whatever percent, 80 whatever percent, right? Of our players who don't ever pay. We're yep. good with that. We're good with that. But the remainder, if they actually pay, you'd be surprised. You'd be it just, oh, man. I see that you guys got studios all up and down California. You got mm-hmm. it in 
SoCal, LA, mm -hmm. the Bay. Mm -hmm. You got it in Berlin. You uh -huh. got it in Bogota. Uh -huh. You got them all over the world, man. So it's a good business model, apparently. Yeah, when I first got in, dude, it, it took me a little bit to wrap my head around it. You know, it took me a minute. What my biggest appreciation for it is, and I, you know, I read books and went to conferences trying to understand, trying to wrap my head around all the behavioral sciences and the economics of it. When I was at Amazon and we're trying to push AWS cloud services mm -hmm. and why people mm -hmm. need them, that was the biggest thing, bro, is the player metrics and analytics. It's yep, like, yep. yo, what are they doing in the first level? What are they doing as soon as they log yep, in? Yep. When do they leave? Yep. What do we need to do to kind of get them to click one more time? You yep. know, and so when you have all that data, you have so much information to inform your mm -hmm. design live. That's what intrigues me the most as a designer, Hefe, is to have access to like that second to second feedback, right? Because in AAA, I'm designing kind of in a vacuum amongst my peers of fellow developers that like, all right, this is the best thing we can do for our player base, right? But we're really just guessing. Right. It's your perspective. At the end of the day, it's mm -hmm. kind of like your call thinking like, I think this is cool. And maybe the, the common player is kind of like me, you know, but really at the end of the day, like you said, it's like you're kind of taking a stab in the dark in some cases. We will have play tests, right? We'll have play tests as often yep. as possible, yep. but it cannot compete at the scale of you guys live week over week testing. And do you guys do any type of market AB testing? You know, like you'll try something on one side, try something on another side. Yeah, we're, we're testing the, the hell out of everything. So we have different variants, different types, and just you brought up a great point is the kind of the psychology of game design and, and what resonates with people. It was one of those things where it's just like, I went into it convinced that approach A was the way to go, maybe B, I was wrong. It was C. C was like the last <laughs> thing that I would even have thought of. And I'm just like, Damn. whoa, that's just crazy. I love it because it becomes a less subjective game. What I mean by that is in design, it's super easy to go back and forth and have conversations for weeks and months about like the design and the approach and the power up and how hard or how easy. Yeah. And with what you guys do, you can't argue with the data. The data comes back right in your face and it's like, yo, this is what they need. This is what they want. Yeah. I love yeah. that. But you know, the flip side to that though, is this idea then that sometimes you're, you're a little bit too beholden to data. Ooh, interesting. Talk me through that. Yeah. Because sometimes you'll, you'll have folks that that's, that's what they're looking at. The analysts, they're looking at analytics, they're looking at the data. And so one of the things that like when I first started, when I was at Zynga was they were very analytics driven. Not to say that a lot of mobile companies aren't, right? I mean, mm. every mobile company is, and maybe a lot of non-mobile companies are as well. I mean, at this point in time, like you mentioned, you'd be an idiot not to pay attention to the analytics, right? To not even at least give it some credence and at least see what the data is telling you. Mm -hmm. So when I first got into to Zynga, it was almost like, okay, a lot of these decisions were being driven by the analytics, right? Wasn't necessarily about design. And me coming old school design, right? There is a certain kind of Zen artistic kind of thing about design. Absolutely. There's a feel to it, right? It's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum of hard data. Exactly. And so that took me a little bit to kind of really get used to and, and embrace, right? And now it's just one of those things where I understand it. And as we are now getting more and more into this, when I started at Zynga, that was in 2011 is when mm -hmm. I started at Zynga. Yeah, that's when the wave, that's when the right. mobile free-to-play wave was really coming in. And now we've learned some things, you know, it's you know been a good 10 years since then. So that gap is starting to lessen and now we're able to 
better marry some more traditional design elements or, or things that we consider traditional design elements yeah. in console and PC gaming to the mobile space. But again, at the end of the day, the data is going to talk, right? The data is going to rule the day. The, uh, you know, analytics are going to what, what's what's going to carry, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the water for you. I'm happy that they make room for the design OGs to come in and bring balance to the force, right? If they're right. kind of heavily indexed on behavioral sciences and economics and mathematician style, right? That you can come in from the creative side and kind of tilt the scale a little bit to be like, yep. yo, yep. there's still something to be said for player pacing, yep. player feel, challenge, you know, things like that. I love that, Hefe. I love that you're there carrying carrying the torch still through and through where these young bucks can't just come through and just completely disavow everything we've built since the 70s. So funny story actually just happened to me today. I had a meeting and uh, we were doing some, uh, basically some R&D, you know, like some focus group type of stuff for an upcoming feature. So for people on the outside looking in, when you say focus group, is that like people in a room behind like a two-way mirror kind of thing? Yeah, basically. They're being shown something, whether it's actually something in game or maybe it's just mock-ups. Do you have like eye tracking and all that shit? No, we don't have that. We're not we're not that sophisticated. We don't got like, you know, Microsoft money or any <laughs> Facebook type of money. Dude, when I heard about that shit, I was like, yo, it's another level. There's a there's level this shit and i'm not on that level man right you know measuring pheromones and like pulse rates you know and all that no no we're not we're not quite there yet <laughs> fair yeah so we're basically wanting to get a sense of them for like an upcoming feature mm-hmm. and uh, just asking questions and they brought up something about a past feature that's related to the one that we're doing right now and they asked him about it and they were like, yo, I, I really like the characters in that one. And they really love like this. This one person specifically brought up the names of the different characters. And Damn. I'm just like, yo, because I came up with most of the names on those. Character design, narrative design. Right. And it was just, I mean, it, it's something so super minor, but that was like two years ago that this feature that, that we were referencing went out. And it was one of those things where in, in a hot minute, I'm like, yo, I got it. I got this unlocked. Listen to these names and I'm dropping these names. This is straight fire. And everyone was like, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Right. You know, like being so nonchalant about it. And I'm just like, man, you don't even know, whatever. And then two years pass, no one said nothing. Right. It was just like, okay, whatever. Fine. I I dropped that sword a long time ago. I'm just like, whatever. But this gal brought it up today. She goes, no, I love the names. They're so cute. And they're so clever and all these other things. And I just couldn't see me, but I just went nuts. I'm just like, Two years. It took two years, but hey, I, I got that recognition, so it's all good. <laughs> Boom, validation. Right? That two validation. Man, I'll take hey, it. Hey, I don't uh, yeah, I'm with you, bro. I don't care. I don't give a shit when it comes, as long as it comes, and I'm not the only one to hear it, I'm at peace. It would all have been worth it right there. Oh good. What type of names? So we had these pets that we had put into Cookie Jam, right? Because when Cookie Jam first released, we didn't have a meta. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we added pets to, to the game and the pets have very specific powers. They'll go after very specific things in the game. And of course, yep. if you're familiar with Cookie Jam, it's all baking, you know, dessert related items. That's the theme. That's the theme. And so the pets, we had like dogs and cats. So you had with dog that would go, his name is Checkers. He would go after waffles. We had a cat, you know, his name is Duncan. Any, any guesses what he, what Duncan might go after? Donuts. Boom. Right here, right here, baby. Pure <laughs> genius, right here. <laughs> yo, yo, that's why they pay you the big bucks, Hefe. 
Right. But yeah, no, it was great. As soon as she said that, I was just like, I was on cloud cloud nine. You couldn't tell me nothing for the rest of the day. Make me feel bad. You bring in the, the craft to the machine. I love it. I mean, never mind that it was a good feature and people love it. It was just a fact like, yo, these names are these, these names are hot. They're popping. No one's even saying nothing about this. Are you kidding me? Um, I got to admit, I got hooked on Cookie Jam. <laughs> I had my little my little two, three months mm-hmm. when this was all I was doing. I even got my partner on it at the time. We were competing. Our couple's time was spent individually on our tablets, right? Like trying <laughs> to get past each other. Come back. Come back. There's pets waiting for you. Checkers and Duncan, they waiting for you. <laughs> I want to check out Checkers and I want to check out Duncan. It may have to happen. I want to go back to what your approach is to being a lead. And the reason I want to touch on that is because I've had the whole spectrum of quote unquote leads, right? I have Mm -hmm. leads that were a lead because they were super good at what they did. And because they were super good at what they did, they knew the tools and everything. They were kind of given ownership of the content. But that didn't necessarily set them up to succeed at managing people, for better or for worse. And then I've been on the other end of the spectrum where having a lead that worked with me to find out what I was best at, protected me from and shielded me from the shit that I sucked at, Mm -hmm. and worked with me to find out what motivated me and helped me get to the next level. And it it was day and night. And in both of these situations, it's not necessarily up to the person, right? It's It's kind of the institution and the system where they are given trainings and they're giving materials to learn how to manage people. And that makes a world of fucking difference, bro. And it pains me to see when people are subjected to the lead that just kind of got the job because he's kind of the most senior person or experienced with the tools or whatever. So I'd love for you to take me through how you approach being a lead because it seems like you take it seriously. No, for sure. You know, so it is interesting, right? You know, because the, the traditional model usually, at least in, in game development, right, is like, hey, whoever knows actually the job the best, right? You know, and yep. usually that means like, hey, they're, they're a good designer, they, they're with it, you know, really, you know, in tune with that. Have They're that accountable. Kind of, that tends to be the, the folks who get pushed, right, into those kind of management roles. But like you said, actually managing people, that's a totally different thing. That's a totally different skill set. Absolutely. Way totally different skill set. It was one of those things where I didn't realize how difficult it was until I actually had 12, 13, 10 people, right? Did they kind of throw you in? Boom, here you go. 13 direct reports or it kind of grew little by little. When I became lead, and it's been about what now, maybe four years, nice. the design department was, I want to say about maybe six or seven. So it's still, still a good amount. Okay. Still a good amount. And then it just grew from there. Now, the first lesson that I learned, and for those of you who are listening and you ever get into this position, especially if you get put into a management position or higher up type of position, the way I operated, my MO, my modus operandi was, I'm going to keep doing what I did to get into the spot. Plus, I'm going to go ahead and do some other things, right? So I'm going to add on to it, right? I'll be like, yo, I'm holding on to everything. Plus, I'm going to do all the new stuff that I've got coming up, right? Wrong. 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 That's that's unsustainable. You may be able to keep that up. Exactly. And finally, it got to a point where I learned very quickly, yo, I can't sustain this. And I need to start handing some stuff off. Delegation. Yeah, delegating, right? Mm-hmm. And for a guy like me, it's just like I'm used to doing stuff, right? Like, you know, it's the if you want it done right, you do it yourself type of mind frame. That was the way at Rockstar, to be fair. We, we all had our own little individual slice of the pie. 
And it was all up to us to do the lifting to get that thing across the finish line. Yep. And you just realize very quickly, it's just like, yo, it, it, not to say that it can't be done, but man, you're burning the candle on both ends. Yeah. If you want to commit 100% of your life to the job, uh-huh, uh-huh. sure. <laughs> but if you want to sustain... And I've done that already, dog. You've been there. You <laughs> I've done that already. I don't need to do that. I don't want to do that. This is why I'm super honored that you're on the show, Hefe, because it's rare. I got looked up, man. I was at some conference. I don't know if it was like the GDOC Expo or what it was, but it was straight up that the average developer game dev lifespan was definitely not double digits. Mm-hmm. It was much shorter than that. Mm-hmm. So to survive and sustain, you got to do things differently. You got to do things smart. Right. And, and and you are walking living proof that you can survive in this industry, but you got to put your boundaries. So it's actually from our rock star days. This is before your time. Yeah. So what was this like midnight club time? It was midnight club time. Yes, it was. So I used to work with this cat, the fellow designer named AJ. AJ and I used to have this thing. We always talked about what's the lifespan of this industry for designers, you know, especially for old cats like us. I'm older than him, but he's not that far behind me. I like to use the word seasoned. I don't like to use the word old. Seasoned. Sure. Seasoned. You know, veteran. And we talked about that. And back then, rock star, right? Everybody knows. It was rough back then. It was their way the highway type of thing. You know, you're getting in at eight, seven or eight, sun is down. You're leaving about seven or eight, maybe nine, sun is still down. So that means you missed the entire damn sun throughout that entire day. And, and you're living in SoCal, man. Yeah, like right? the beautiful days are just passing you by. I mean, if this were the case... Put me in fucking Antarctica or North Pole where it's naturally <laughs> not going to, you know, you're not going to see sun. Hey, shout out. I think that's what they do with their Edinburgh studio up there. They got kind of similar to Seattle weather. Shout out. Shout out to the people that would escape intelligently for yes. lunch. They would go out, hit the beach, surf, uh-huh. run, work out, and then come back and, and pump it out. Back to AJ. So we had this thing where we finally developed this idea or just the saying rather of like, well, dude, can you see yourself being in this industry? You know, at the time I was like 35, 34 ish, you know, and so he wasn't that far behind me, maybe late 20s, early 30s. Yo, can you see yourself in this industry for another 15, 10, 20 years? And we're like, hell no. If it's this way, hell no, straight up. And so we developed this thing, right? We were like, sometimes I'd walk by him or he walked by me, and one of us would just say to the other, 5 0, and the other one would say, hell no. So the idea. Yeah. You're not going to make it to 50. We're not going to get to 50. I'm not going to get to 50 and be in this industry. There's no way I can sustain this shit. No way we can do that. And that's a fair thing, right, to think about. It was just like, no. I I honestly thought at that point in time, it's like my my shelf life, maybe I had another 10 years at best, five years for sure. And I'm (laughs) I'm starting to think like, well, shit, what am I going to do? I've known nothing but game development basically my entire adult life. What am I going to do? You know? I, I'm with you on that, man. The transition I made to Amazon was a kind of horizontal shift, right? Because it was still games, mm-hmm. but it was like big corporation. There was a lot to learn there, but I'm with you 100%, man. I can't I can't see myself outside of games. I can't see myself with no mm-hmm. like reporting and wearing a certain type of clothing and you know, be here by this time, leave by this time mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. shit like that. Like, nah, bro, I need to create, I need to design, I need to get my crazy ideas out there and definitely I need to be playing games for sure. 
Yep, yep. Everyone poo-poos Rockstar, right? And and I'm certainly one of the biggest poo-pooers, you know, especially after I got let go and all the other stuff. But, you know, that's understandable. You get cut off, girlfriend dumps you, that type of thing. You're going to be a little salty, right? I'm with you, bro. Rockstar, let me go. I always compare Rockstar to that mistress, right? That like, kind of demands all your time. Uh-huh. And as soon as she finds something better, right? something, something cheaper, new, yep, yep. <laughs> something newer, uh-huh. you know, it's like, oh, peace. I don't, I don't know you anymore. Right, but right. I will say this, man. They open up doors for me. Everything I have now, everything where I've been in this industry is because of what I was able to give to them and what they were able to give back to me. So I got stories with you, Hefe. But at the end of the day, I'm where I am today because I worked alongside you we pumped out games like red dead redemption and it gave me thick ass fucking skin yeah where anywhere else i go afterwards oh yeah i look at it and be like yo this is easy dude dude this so, is easy i gotta tell you before the pandemic right all right so this is like 2019 early 2020 yeah 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 know. one of my designers came up to me and was just like not really complaining i don't want to say complaining but just kind of like yo why are you doing this to us? We have a cadence and all these other things. And then we had to double stuff up because it was coming up for the holidays. Well, we got the two weeks off, right? That type of thing. Yeah, I bet you guys make a bunch of downloads and DAU acquisitions around that time. Right. But we have the time off. So we needed to basically do a little bit of double time, that type of thing. And we had the double time for like maybe a good month and a half, two months, you know, because we have to prep for it so that once the holidays come, once Christmas come, we're on lock for two weeks, right? We can just set it and forget it. Yeah. Nobody's touching anything. Nobody's submitting anything. Well, Zyna came up to me. He's like, yo, man, this is too much, right? And I'm just like looking at him like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Dude. And, and, and I don't want to be like, you know, the, the old man of the river, right? Old man river like, saying like, yo, right? Went to school 10 miles uphill both ways with dogs attacking you, right, through barbed wire fences, right? I didn't want to be that guy, but I had to be like, yo, dude, you don't even know what the fuck you're talking about, right? Let me tell you. And then I went into it, and I told him about, like, all my stuff and all the stuff I went through at Rockstar, you know, and 3DO, and all these other things, right? And I'm just like, dude, you don't even know. Yo, millennials, y'all soft as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) You straight up cotton candy, bro. You straight up jello. <laughs> you toilet paper that got wet. <laughs> Yo, Hefe, I love laughing about this. But I mean, in all seriousness, though, how did you kind of motivate the individual? You know, how did he respond to that shit? Like, where was kind of the give and take in that? It's tough to tell somebody, yo, you don't know, right, how how hard it is, right? But it, it is one of those things where I try to, in as much as I can, relate my experiences yeah. Right? And say, hey, this is what I had to deal with. Right. And and I'm not saying that your truth is not your truth. Right. Everyone's truth is their Absolutely. truth. Everyone's experience is their experiences. And I'm not trying to sit here and discount that. But what I am telling you, though, is that there is this thing called perspective. And I have the perspective of at least going through that and at least you understanding and knowing like, hey, yeah, it could be a lot worse. And maybe on some levels, you just have to take it at face value. Whether you believe me or not, really at the end of the day, I think that's that's really what it boils down to. I'm as honest with them as I possibly can be. And I think that's really the, the one thing that I try to do is be very honest, try to be very transparent with them, right? You know, even if, it, even if it's shit that I don't want to tell them, even if it's shit that's not good, it's like, yo, I need to just be as transparent with you so that you know that I'm on the up and up with you, right? And that's always yes. the one thing that, I always wanted is just to be honest, have an honest discussion. And even if it's shit, that's difficult to talk about. 
Yes. Yo, thank you. Thank you for saying that, Hefe, because the worst experiences in my career have been when I get kind of the FaceTime and lip service where it's like, oh, yeah, everything's all good and smiles and shit when shit is not all good. Yeah. And, 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 shit, and shit could be much better. So when I interview and when I talk to managers and whatever teams I'm coming on to, I tell them straight up that I'm looking for transparency. Every one-on-one I have with my boss, a boss's boss, I'm like, yo, what could I be doing better? I'm going to tell you what you could be doing better so that I could do a better job. And so I never want to be caught blindsided again because I've been there early in my career because I made the mistake of trusting my manager, being like, oh, yeah, everything is sweet. Everything's all good. And it's like, hey, guess what? We're letting you go. I was like, yo, but... But that shit doesn't add up, bro. Something's missing there in that equation. So now I disarm them. I don't give them that opportunity. So I love what you're saying, bro. You you keep it 100. You keep it real. You keep it transparent. And I hope that that builds that trust so that they can be 100 and transparent with you, right, to come up to you and complain, even when you feel like you have no fucking reason to be complaining. But let me hear you out. And let's, let's see how we adjust right or modify your workload with you know the other people around you kind of thing i'm yeah. curious is, is that is that about is that a balancing act of being a manager for sure mm. right you know i mean obviously it's it's about taking because i have my experience and my perspective on things right and but mm-hmm. again that's my truth and so i i, I understand that that that's not going to resonate with with everybody or anybody really for that matter right yeah and so for me, it's like I tried to look at it from from that person's perspective. And in and, and, and the example that I gave, right, where they were complaining about it, and I said, you know what, I understand and I get it. And I, I apologize. What can I say? To that end is all I can really say is like, hey, this is this is where we're at. This is what we need to do. I appreciate you, right? I appreciate you, you know, putting in the effort. And what I did for that, for that team, you know, is after the fact, you know, and I know it was a, it was a small thing, but you know, for me, it's, I'm, I'm all about gestures, right. And trying to at least make sure like I'm showing appreciation. So I ended up taking my team out, right. You know, we went out, we went out for some beers, you know, we went to a local brewery, you know, San Diego, right. Bunch of breweries, a lot of eaters. We went, we we ended up going to the Belgian Beaver. Oh, I know the Belgian Beaver, bro. Right. Over there on Vista, right. On Vista. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Here's what the thing is. Here's the thing is, I buy Belgian Beaver peanut butter stout up here. Mm-hmm. I love this stuff up here. That's what mm-hmm. it is. I probably haven't gone there. I feel like I've been to the OB one. I don't think I've okay. been to the Vista one. Come on through, buddy. We'll go there as soon as this COVID bullshit's done. Come on My down. Man. We're going. I appreciate you so much, brother, because one half of this podcast is putting the young bloods on, putting the next generation on so that we can bring more diversity, more different personalities and experiences to this industry, right? Because everybody wants to be a motherfucking pro gamer and streamer Uh and shit, uh but who's going to be making the games, right? Right, We need more people making the games. But the other side of it is this fucking pandemic has got me fucked up and I miss connecting with my peers and talking bullshit and talking about the craft. Hey, I found out that your your collegiate stomping grounds was up here. So I I look forward to being able to show you and the missus all the breweries and the food and everything that's come up here. And I definitely want to take Mrs. Diaz down there in San Diego. Last time we was all down there was for Marcellus's wedding. Yeah, wedding. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Still can't believe that fool's married, but yeah. (laughs) Yo, he found him. He found him a good one, man. Man, man for he sure, right? And she, she's an angel. Dawson's an angel. When I say fits him so well, oh yeah, it's just that like 
if he's a yang, she's the ying. That oh, yeah, 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 yeah. In that yang. So good. I'm making fun at, at, at Celis, you know, at, at his expense. But, man, no, I'm, I'm so damn happy for him. Man, it was yes. great, you know, seeing yes. that, seeing you, you know, you and the missus, you know. So that was, it was all good. That day was just nothing but love. It's good times, man. There's an unfortunate saying that you catch up with the most people at funerals or weddings. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I hope that the pandemic has taught us even connecting like this, connecting virtually. This is valuable. This is valuable when we can't be face to face, but we're building the social currency so that as soon as we can get back on planes and come down, you know, this is going to happen. Man, you know, I got a feeling everyone's going to go fucking buck wild as soon as this thing is ready to go. I got a feeling. You know what I want? I want like a vaccine phone tool kind of thing. <laughs> I'll be like, yo, I got the vaccine. I'm good. I'll keep my fucking mask on. Let me in. Don't let anybody behind me that doesn't have the, the same shit and is going to yeah. be anti-mask. I feel like I've been doing what I need to do so that the world can get back to normal. Yep, yep. And we should be able to get back together with people that are respecting it. You know, sometimes I, I want currency, right? Like, yo, if, if you've been you've been following the rules, you've been a good person, yo, you get some currency. When this shit is done, you'll be able to like, how much currency you got, dog? You got 500 or, or, or more? Yeah, I got 500 or more. Cool. You good. You got two. 250 dog you got you got some time you, you got to wait a little bit right because that's what i kind of feel like we got to gamify this shit gamification <laughs> gamification hefe. my wife has learned it too Catherine has learned that i respond so well to clear metrics and goals mm-hmm. and be mm-hmm. like yo if mm-hmm. you do the dishes x amount of times or take the dog here mm-hmm. then yeah go ahead and game or go ahead and podcast or whatever i'm like yo that makes sense to me it's yeah, these yeah. fuzzy logic math rules where it's like oh yeah depending on how i feel yeah yeah shit oh, changes man. i'm like yeah, i can't yeah. work with that bro yeah i'm too logical <laughs> <laughs> but i mean yo you tell me hefe you've been married for over 20 years what words of wisdom can you impart what i think we were like what we had a three-year anniversary early Congrats february 2nd yeah yeah merci beaucoup thank you hefe it's been a journey i bet i can imagine let me know, bro. What what words of wisdom do you have to give for anybody in a partnership or oh, relationship, man. right? Like that could be with your boss, your your job, your romantic partner, your pet, <laughs> whatever. We're talking about a significant other. So I'm going to talk mm-hmm. about, about, about the wife. I think for me, what I learned, right, and it took me a minute, was getting to a point where I had to realize that it's not just about me. And I know that sounds really basic, but when we got together, it wasn't so much the idea of us becoming one. It was her and me coming together and it's us. But there was still that kind of weird separation. And it's not separation in that we weren't together, but it was a separation of mindset maybe. Okay. And for me, it was really about getting to a place where I needed to start thinking about us as one right? And how taking her point of view, her feelings into consideration, not to say that I wasn't, but maybe I really wasn't as in tune with that as I needed to be. Not to say that I'm changing my world perspective or my opinions to match hers. No, no, no. no, I'm not saying that at all. But giving her the space to breathe and to express those things and not necessarily discount them or to validate them one way or the other and just say, okay, well, I understand. Now I disagree, 
And I disagree for these reasons, but that doesn't mean that you're wrong. And I think that's really where it came from, right? Where I realized like, hey, we can both be right and the other person doesn't have to be wrong. That was the big kind of thing for me where I finally realized that, where it's just like, it's not a, you know, a zero sum type of thing. Amen. Hey, that's where gamification gets the fuck out of the way for relationships. Absolutely. You want to gamify, get on fucking Xbox Live. Marriage? No, it's, that's not going to work. Trust me, that shit ain't not going to work. You dropping knowledge, man. And I really love what you're saying. There's a you, there's a her, Uh and there's the us, right? There's a you and her together. It's three separate entities. You guys need your space to be yourselves. And when you come together, that's a different being all together. Right, right. I think that's the biggest thing that when I look back on my conflicts has been this kind of feeling of judgment, right? And Mm -hmm. it can Mm -hmm. come from wherever. It's like, yo, your work is not good enough or whatever, right? And so that always puts somebody on guard and puts you kind of on the defensive So thank you for sharing that because being judgment-free, letting people come as they are, Mm -hmm. right? Like, hey, I'm sharing my perspective with you. You may not agree with it, but exactly how you said, it doesn't mean it's wrong. And and that makes the whole world a difference. It's like, yo, I can keep coming back to you with my perspectives and viewpoints and not feel like I'm being judged or labeled as the way I look at things is wrong because- it's my subjective right. perspective. That's yep. all it is. It's your truth. So, salute to that, brother. Clinkity clink. Of course, we're talking about Jam City. That's where I'm at currently, you know, lead game designer. Are you guys hiring? Yes, we are. We are hiring. Yeah, that's great news for listeners out there looking to get into mobile game development. What qualities, skills, experience do you look for in a design candidate for your team? Actually, I mean, and it really depends, right? If we're looking for somebody senior, obviously that has its own requirements and experience that we're looking for versus somebody that's maybe more of an associate. So I'm going to jump actually to associate because I think that will apply to most of the, the listeners, especially those that are new to the industry or think about getting into the industry. So for me, and I do a lot of hiring. I'm the hiring manager for my team. And so one, I, I just look for can you explain why you did what you did, right? Again, it's not necessarily the idea that you're right or wrong, right? But I want you to be able to explain to me in a very precise and clear way of the decisions that you made. Why did you do this? You know, we do design tests all the time. We give them design tests, create, you know, however many levels. Are they like cookie jam design tests? Cookie jam design tests, yep. Match three games. And I'll ask them like, hey, I noticed in this level you did this, you did that. Why did you go about it? I'm not looking to find something, "Ah," but I want them to explain to me their design process, their design thoughts, what went through their mind. Why did they go through that? Because then I can at least take that and understand like, hey, there's a thought there and they try to execute it. I want to get that sense of what are you thinking and can you explain to me why you thought that? And then the execution is speaking to that. Then I'll ask him, well, how effective do you think you were in that regards? There's like an element of self-awareness, self-analysis. Right, and not just a, oh, I thought it was gonna be fun or I thought it was gonna be cool. We hear that all the time as designers. Oh, it's kind of cool. What the fuck is cool about (laughs) it, right? (laughs) That's the default answer. It's cool, okay, cool. But tell me why it's fucking cool. I hear that shit all the fucking time. I've been hearing that for like 30 some odd years. Get the fuck out of here. What's cool about it? I lost you. I lost you. <laughs> Y'all been hearing this shit for 30 fucking right? years. It's cool. Bro. It's What's so cool, cool, man. Cool. But tell me why is it cool? So there's that. And then the other part of it too is can you be taught? 
can you listen? Oh, right. Church. Can you get out of your own damn way? I'm not saying that what we do is the right way or that it's the perfect way, but for our game, it's what works for us, right? Church. Now, I'm going to be open to other ideas, but you better sell me on it, right? And again, it goes back to the whole idea of like, hey, can you explain to me your thought process, right? And then if you can, then I'm like, okay, well then, shit, maybe we should go ahead and try that. Let's go ahead and do a test for that. That's an interesting paradigm where you have to have some conviction to believe in your ideas Mm -hmm. and be able to convey them clearly and eloquently and sell them, but also be open to feedback and sculpting, you know what I'm saying? Because often, more often than not, what we do is not the result of one person. It's the result of many people in that Mm -hmm. pot, right? Mm -hmm. Contributing and touching. And I really like those words of wisdom. Really, that's what I'm looking for is like, how willing are you to listen? Because I've run to a lot of people who are super talented, know what the hell they're doing, but they're very kind of like, well, no, I know what I'm doing. Not to say they're close-minded, but you know, along those lines. And it's just like, okay, well then maybe this place is not for you. Fair. Right? That's something to be cognizant of as well, right? Like just because you don't get in somewhere doesn't mean that you're not good. Yeah. It just means that you're not a proper fit. You're not going to do your best work on that team. That's all. That's all it means. Yeah. And you know, you touched on it. You hit the nail on the head. It's like, it's really about a fit, right? At the end of the day, it's like, I've ran into a bunch of people who are just super damn talented and know what the hell they're talking about, but a personality fit, probably not. They would be raising too many waves, you know, causing too many waves you know, causing problems, you know, whatever the case may be. And it's just like, you know, and then with me being the manager, I don't need that. I don't don't need need that, bro. (laughs) Especially when you're trying to drop updates every week, bro. You don't need that. That would be my advice, right? You know, obviously know your craft. One thing I really appreciate about Jam City and the position I'm in is the opportunity that we can give to people who haven't necessarily gone through the route like maybe you have, right? Or some of the bolas of the world, right? Where you guys went to school, right? And you learned this stuff, right? And it's just like, I've actually hired a, 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 a bunch of people who didn't actually have any previous experience. Oh, wow. Taking a chance? I mean, we vet them as well as we can. They did well in the test and they're, they're interviewed by everybody on the team. So it's not just me. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I tend to have the final say. I will obviously take everybody's opinion and perspective. You know, take that and consider it and then move forward with that. Do you guys have like gladiator style, thumbs up, thumbs down? We actually would have meetings like that. Yeah, for sure. I would imagine that's very motivational for someone looking on the outside, looking in to be like, Mm -hmm. hey, I don't have experience. I haven't done this before. Do I have a shot? Now, don't get me wrong. You're going to need to come correct because obviously at the end of the day, it's like if there's somebody that has some experience versus somebody who has zero experience, and maybe their tests are about equal or a push, I'm probably going to lean towards the person that has some experience, more than likely, to be honest. But we have hired people who don't have any previous experience. you know. And so what I will look at it, like professional experience, I should say. Well, sure. then what I will also look at then is I will look at like, well, what have you done on your own? Because that for me is really the, the big thing. It's like, well, if you haven't had proper experience, because not, not many people do, not many people are afforded that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Then, well, what are you doing on your own? Oh, well, I'm getting into I'm getting into Unity, right? I'm getting into yes. all of these different programs. I'm making my own thing. 
I'm going to place more emphasis on that because, yo, that person wants to do something. They're actually making things happen, right? I'm looking for that. Be driven. Be Mm -hmm. doing the thing on your free time, learning. Make sure that you can learn. And as well, you are playing the shit out of your games. I always expect this out of anybody. And it always surprises me when it's like they haven't played the games of the place they're interviewing. For real. For real. That's crazy. Yeah. If you're going to be interviewing at at Jam City, you better be telling me about you know, Cookie Jam, Panda Pop, all those fucking games, Harry Potter. If you don't know nothing, I'll be like, dog, what are you doing? Right? You're going to interview at Ford and you don't know nothing about Mustangs. You don't know nothing about, you know, the F 150s. Get the fuck out of here. Get out of here. Wasting my time. Thank you. No, no problem. Thank you. I think those are super powerful words of wisdom that will resonate with anybody. Anybody trying to get in, trying to break in, or trying to make the jump from like indie into mobile or or even into AAA, the same affordances still apply. I would say 100%. That runs the gamut despite any type of discipline. If you're an art, fucking do your own shit, right? Get into it. Start doing some projects, you know, work on some things on your own. If you're into coding, well, what have you done, right? What projects have you worked on? You know, show me that you've done something. If you're into design, what have you done? Right. What's some of the things that you've worked on? And, you know, I've had people who will give me their portfolios or they'll give me like, hey, you know, here's a link to my game and they're shitty games. But I'll ask them about it. Right. And I'll go, well, hey, what was your process? Why did you do this? Right. And then if they explain to me why they did that. I'm like, OK, cool. What did you learn from it? Right. And then they'll tell me these things. And I'm like, all right, this person knows what they're doing. I can work with that. That's yes. somebody that I can work with. You can collaborate. Exactly. They can show you their thought process. You can collaborate them. They're willing to take feedback. They're willing to learn. Those are the type of teammates I I vibe with. Absolutely. Okay, let's get back to talking about you, your career. What are you up to today? And let's step through it. All right. So Jam City, I'm there right now. Been there since 2014. I started off as just a game designer. I'm current lead game designer. Before that, Zynga, right? I was there from 2011 to 2014. I actually went back to QA, right? So I was the alpha QA there from 2011 to 2014. Like I said, I worked on Cafe World, Ninja Kingdom, Bubble Safari, all these games, right? And that was over in San Diego. That's when they opened the San Diego branch over in Zynga. But prior to that, I was at Rockstar, Rockstar Games in San Diego over in Carlsbad from 2003 to 2010. Right. So I, I was there. I was there for a hot minute. I was there. I actually got hired for a project. If you, you might have heard about it, it was agent. That's what I was brought in for. I got a little insight on that. Thanks to the Benja interview. Uh huh. So as I understand it, you brought him in. Yep, I did. And then you guys are both on agent. Uh huh. And then a fork happened, right? And then he went on to he went on to table tennis. And I don't know what happened with you. I don't know where you went. So yes, I got brought on for agent. That's what I was hired on for. And then I ended up bringing Ben. And Ben and I had worked with each other at 3DO. That's how we hooked up, right? Prior to to Rockstar. And so I'm like, Yo, Ben, you know, you you interested? Because at the time, Ben was in programming, which I'm sure you know, right, from what he was talking about. Right. So that's how I knew him at 3DO. But when I left for San Diego for Rockstar, he was telling me like, yo, I'm thinking about go, you know, going into game design. And I'm like, all right, well, let me see what I hear. And then if I hear anything, I'll let you know. We are hiring for agent. I gave Ben a holler and he's like, yeah, let's do this. So they brought him on and I'm like, yeah, my man's here. So it's all good. That's what I do, man. It's just like, you know, I bring my boys up, especially those I know who, who are proper and know what they're doing. That's what I do. 
That, hey, that's a big thing, right? Like a lot of people have their stories about how they broke in, but the Trump card is definitely having a hookup, having a connection, having yep. having having a contact of someone that you've worked with that can vouch for you to be like, yo, this person can handle the job and bring something to the table. Bring value to the table, yep. They're not coming in hands out. And you know, we talked about this earlier, right? It's an incestuous industry. Everybody knows everybody, right? You always want to work with the homie. For real. And you don't want it. You don't want to develop that reputation. Like, no, he's an asshole. He's difficult to work with because that shit fucking follows you. Everybody knows it. Yo, bro, you think you think that COVID-19 is rough? Oh man, man, right? That 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 bad word of mouth. 2003. Shit. Yo, ain't no mask gonna protect you from that. No, man, man right? No, no, no vaccine's gonna you know shield you from that shit. <laughs> ain't no cure for that sickness. So, you know, Rockstar agent, we went through so many damn iterations on that. It just wasn't working. And then finally they kind of put it on the shelf for a little bit. And then I ended up being put on to, so you're talking about table tennis. So at the time, there were three projects that were, that were brought up, right? One was table tennis. Another one was a motocross, if I remember correctly. And that's what my boy AJ that I was mentioning before, that's what he was on. And then I was put on to, I think it was sort of like a, a battle car arena, twisted metal type of thing. Yeah, I can see that in the DNA of like Smuggler's Run and Midnight Club. That's a natural progression of that technology and that pedigree. Exactly. And then out of those three, the other two kind of fell by the wayside. Somehow, table tennis survived. That would have been the That was the one that I would have like, yeah. If you took a bet in Vegas. Yeah, I'm a betting man, bro. Right? I would have lost all my fucking money. I would have been right there next to you. Like, dog, I lost my money. You would have lost your shirt. Oh, that's on the strength of Ben, bro. I mean, tell me different, and I, I believe you, but from the story he told me, that's on the strength of Ben to really kind of carry the load oh, to real. be like, yo, these are the answers to all the questions. You got anything else? No, no. I, I have to say, right, because I, I was, I think, one of two designers on... Uh, so I was on the uh, battle arena, the, the car... Twisted metal kind of... Twisted metal type of thing, right? You know, mm-hmm. Smuggler's Run one. You know, I just wasn't feeling it. I, I just wasn't into you it. You yourself? I wasn't into it, right? I was just wow. kind of like... I think at the time, it was kind of like, what the hell are we doing, right? Why three projects? They're just kind of throwing us onto it. We don't really know what we're doing type of thing. I think they were just trying to bide their time. It's fucking rare, the studio that can sustain two projects at a time, let alone three. Right. It was just like, I just don't know what we're doing here. And, and of course I put into work and I tried to do what I could, but in the back of my mind, you know, it just wasn't going to happen. And, and you know, you can get a sense of like when shit's going to happen or it's not. And and a lot of that really depends on, it. well, do people behind it actually believe it? Yeah. Do you believe and, in it? Do you have buy-in from the right. team? And to Ben's credit, he stuck with it, you know, and I think just through sheer willpower and just force of personality with him and, and other key people, you know, on that project, they were able to make that thing happen. So fuck yeah, man. You know, to this day, I, I'm just like... I don't fucking believe it. It's like table tennis. You're fucking kidding me. That game but it's stands out. Good. It's tight. The yeah. word I use is tight. Yes. Right? Like table tennis as a sport, as a next generation title of Gen 3, PS3. It was just an intelligent approach of like, yo, it's basically a fighting game. You got two people that need to look really good. Yeah. 
And then everything else is dress is filling and dresser. Yep. And make that shit tight. Make that shit feel like table tennis. And boom, it proved out the tech. Yep. It was, I want to say, well scoped. You can't like, what do they call it? Feature creep table tennis. Well, I mean, you know, maybe you can if you want to start going like the Street Fighter route, which I think maybe they might have considered. And it's just like, hey, fireballs and all that shit. But yeah. That's interesting, man. But hey, all the decisions, it's hard to look back on it and be like, yo, I think all the right decisions were made. It got yeah, it yeah. out there because it stands out in the portfolio. It's like, yo, this is not a Rockstar game. There has to be more behind it. That's the outlier, right? When you look at Rockstar games, you're just like, you know, this, that, bully, GTA, table tennis. What the fuck is that? <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, continued on with that. And then just obviously, you know, those two other projects fell by the wayside. Everybody then got moved on to another version of Agent that still wasn't quite working. And at that point in time, I'm just like, yo, I, I, I just don't see this happening. So then, you know, I started talking with the, with, with the folks over at Midnight Club, you know, at the time they were doing dub edition. And I'm like, yo, you guys needed a designer and they actually needed designers. I love Midnight Club, bro. I it's love so good. Midnight Club. So, so good. good. So good, man. In, in the spirit of like racing, arcade design your car. And I never, never lived in California before then. And I could I could tell you how to navigate LA because of that game. I got a funny story about Midnight Club LA. So because you know you can navigate, we, we literally went down to LA, right? So we went to like downtown, we went to the beach, you know, over Santa Monica, went out to East LA, went over to Long Beach. Guess who they sent over to South Central? You. Yep. So they sent me, so no bullshit, right? So what ended up happening was, is that we had planned this, right? We're going to do an R&D trip. We're going to go down there, take reference shots and all this other shit, right? So we rented cars and there were two teams. We were going to split up. Some were going to go over to uh, Santa Monica. Some were going to go downtown. Somebody's going to go to Long Beach. Somebody's going to go to South Central. So when you say you're, you're working on, you're doing research for a racing game. Uh-huh. And you say you're renting cars. Are you renting like sports cars? Or are you renting like Escalade black vans kind of shit? Not even that. We were planning all this shit and we had all, all the locations scouted out. We know where we're going to go, what we're going to take photos of, right? And so we divided up into two teams. So it was me and I had two artists with me. One was this hasty white boy. Good cat. Really good cat. I'm not saying nothing, nothing about nothing, but just pasty white boy glasses. He stands right? out. Stands out like hell, right? Like powder. Like, yeah, literally, right? Like the movie Powder. Come on, dog. The other dude, right, was this Korean dude. Cool cat, but just obviously has an accent and, you know, hey, looks more Asian than I do, right? On a good day, maybe I look Mexican, but whatever. It's the Philippine in you, bro. Right, right, right? I was like, at Philippines, it's like Spanish Asians, right? Like, that's, right, that's how right. I look at them. Yeah, right, yeah. right. I, I forgot what comedian it was, but they were like, basically saying like, yeah, like we're the Asian Hispanics of, of Asia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love my Filipinos, man. I grew up with so many of them in NYC. Filipino. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so I was, I was teamed up with, with those two individuals. So they assigned us on day one downtown. Right. And we had to go to we had to go to downtown. We went to Civic Center, went down to parts of Skid Row. So, you know, it's, it's pretty fucking sketchy. Got to check out Skid Row. Yeah. But we got to do we got to do all that. Right. That's that's that rock star research, man. For real. Nobody does it like them. So imagine that. Right. We're all decked out in cameras. We're all walking around taking photos and shit. Day two, they send us down to South Central. 
So we went down to South Central, we went to Compton, we went to Watts, we went to all these places, right? The funny thing was, is before, because I already knew what we were assigned. I knew that we had downtown day one, we had we had South Central day two. I told whoever was booking all this stuff, right? Yo, whatever you get us, don't get us a blue or a red car. Ooh, yeah. Don't right? get them gang colors. Don't get me none of that, right? Just, just get me something black or white. Green, I don't give a fuck, right? Neutral. But but they, they, they thought I was fucking kicking it around, right? You know what they gave me? No, Jefe, no, no. So they gave me a red car. Not only did they give me a red car, but you have to remember at this point in time, I want to say, this, what was this, 2006? Six. Six? Yeah, that sounds about right. 2005, around there. They, they put me in a red PT Cruiser. Oh man, dog! Yo, I, I, know, yo, I know, I know, I know. My hip hop dudes love that PT Cruiser. You put me in something that's just a fucking bright ass red. It stands out. And a car that just stands out, right? Yes. Just like a PT Cruiser. Are you kidding me? With a pasty white boy and a Korean dude. <laughs> yo, all right, all right. Let let's all take a step back and just appreciate for the for the surface level of that image. Not not making try not trying to make any social commentary, any political commentary. It's just the sheer visual of that car. Right, right. That doesn't look like any other car. A PT cruiser in blood colors. Moving around watts. Watts. With a very diverse set of riders. Clearly do not belong there. So so it gets deeper. When we were in downtown day one, I was walking, taking photos, wasn't paying attention. And I kind of slipped off of a sidewalk off the ledge and I kind of twisted my knee. Fuck. Right. And it was, you know, a little bit later in the day, thankfully. So I wasn't necessarily struggling, but I, I could tell, like, I really kind of, you know, jacked it. I kind of hit it at the right spot. So overnight, it got a little bit sore. It kind of puffed up a little bit. Yeah. And I was limping. Right. So the following day, very noticeable limp. Well, we got to go to South Central. You got the swagger. Yeah, I had the gangster lean, but I'm not trying to do no lean for real. So, I'm laughing, bro, but I'm really, I'm really nervously anxious for you, man. We're driving around Watts, and we go to the Watts Tower, and I'm just like, "Yo, what are we doing over here?" Because we got to take photos. I'm like, "All right." So I get out of the car, and I'm limping hard, and I got like this two thousand dollar camera or whatever and shit. And I'm just like, "Yo, somebody's gonna jack me, right?" Look at this fool walking around limping. Because it don't matter, it's daylight. And it was the middle of the day, and I'm just like, these fools coming out this red PT Cruiser, man, we're going we're gonna to just go and just gank these fellas, right? So the funny thing was is that we had just left Watchtower. We're heading over to Compton. If you're aware of the you know geography, Watts is a little bit further north. You start kind of building south. We knew that we were going to hit Compton last because that's further south. And once we're done with Compton, then we just hit the, the four or five and then head head back home that was our last day mm -hmm. so we were we were working because we stayed in downtown at the time so we were just gonna hit south central from the north and build our way south take all the photos that we can and then just get, get the fuck out so we finished up watts and we're heading down towards compton and we were driving and all of a sudden there was we saw these 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 two cars parked on the side and they saw us i mean how are you not going to see red pt cruiser up in in watts right yes they saw us and then they looked at us and they started waving at us, right? Like signaling to come through, come over like, here. Like, come on, come on down, right? And so my man in the back, Mr. South Korea, goes to me and he's like, hey, 
them guys back there were waving at us, right? And he goes, what do they want? And then I'm like, they know we're lost. They probably think we're here for drugs. And then he goes, really? And I go, yeah. He goes, do you think we should go back there? And I'm like, no, fuck you. We ain't going back there. <laughs> Luckily, nothing happened, but it was just one of just weird freaking things. If you had a blue car, you would have been fine. You know, I don't know. I'm not saying that I know, you know, the geography of, you know, Crips versus Bloods, you know, throughout the, the, the various, you know, boroughs or various areas of South Central, but you never know. So I'm like, why even fucking, you know, why even mess with that? Don't chance it. Yeah, because because you could always be tested as well. But hey, why are you representing us? Right, right, you know, right. Yeah, 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 Right, yeah, right, yeah. In, in a yeah. PT Cruiser. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Because, yo, it's funny. I haven't seen a PZ Cruiser in I don't know how long. Right, but right. I can, I, can, I can describe it to you instantly, man. Like the way it has kind of those front tires are like on a spoke detached from the car body. Yeah. It's very iconic. It, it looks like a, a slice of an apple pie, you know, that's with like a little bit of a snub nose because it's kind of like wide. It, it's, it's narrower in the front and kind of wider in the back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It has this like old school gangster mobster vibe you're talking about old gangster mobster like you know chicago cir- circa 1930s that's what i'm referring to right those, right, those, right that old vintage style of automobile design but that was the hotness back then that was like the thing back then it was a mash of like old school with new school and then and then of course i i can only envision it with spinner rims right like 20 inch chromed out wheels all those hip-hop videos at the time right like Cash money, all those guys, Little Wayne, yeah. You know that that was that was Midnight Club, and then how you know, the fuck did you? So you made it, you made it back home. I, I, clearly, I did, right? But Th- it was thanks just, to you, thanks to you for not, not for steering those brave souls right? in the car to be like, don't listen to anybody waving you to come over. No, don't. If 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 they wave you down, they probably think uh, clearly you don't belong, and you're probably there buying drugs. Who yo, uh, that whole time you're telling me that story, like I, I clearly see you in front of me, so I know you're good, but the whole time I'm still like on edge of a thriller novel. Dog, like, dog, oh I was gosh. always watching those other two because I kind of felt like, hey, you know, I, I I can maybe navigate myself, but like the, the white dude, I don't know, you know, clearly he's, he's not supposed to be there. And then the Asian guy, maybe, you know, they think like the, the funny thing was because he was the artist, well, they're both artists. He was like going around taking photos of everybody's houses because, you know, get, need to get reference shots. And I'm like, you know, you, you might want to just kind of be careful with that because they probably think like, you know, you're you're Korean or Asian. You're probably there maybe wanting to buy their property, some other shit. And they might not be might not be cool to that. I would have thought it would have been like undercover DTs taking pictures and shit. Yeah. Did that lead to good reference though? Like obviously it did because that game oh, yeah. is as true to the source material you tell me. I know Sunset Boulevard so good without ever having stepped foot on there, man. Yeah, we did it as, as proper as we, as we could, at least get the vibe, you know, and, and the general kind of geography. And it felt good, bro. I think that was the first game. I remember, I'll tell you this, and you tell me if you had any any vision or input onto design. But I remember, and I'm describing to you as viscerally as possible, that I can hold down handbrake and crank the acceleration and fucking donut <laughs> and then shoot off and get the acceleration on that man and that felt so good even the camera on that even yeah, the yeah. camera on that the camera was work unlike was any other 
racing game I had touched. And mind you, I put Need for Speed Underground kind of at the top of the list, but Midnight Club 3 reigned supreme to me, bro. Yeah, it was it was good. We 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 did some good stuff on that. So I was I was very happy with that project. I can't fault Rockstar for doubling down on GTA and Red Dead. Yeah. But I wish they would have came back to it. That was the one thing I never understood why they never went back to it. I would love to see another Midnight Club iteration. I get if I'm, you know, money guy and I'm like, why don't I put all my resources onto these two money makers? But there's something to be said for like, hey, smaller budget, tightly scoped game, uh-huh, uh-huh. and the return, the ROI right? is going to be worth it. Like, you can't tell me no. Brother, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow your mind right now. Right? All right, what so you got for me, man? You know, after we release that, right? You know what the next two cities that we were gonna do. You have an idea. We already started doing R and D for it. We traveled to one of the two cities to get reference shots, and obviously, we we're gonna be building on Midnight Club Three, right? Mm-hmm. We have the tech already in place, and mm-hmm. so we learned Ooh. so much. Ooh, Miami. Nope. Vegas. Boom. Oh, yo, because they do what they do, that, that gumball joint, right? They do like mm-hmm. the Death Valley gumball racing. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay, so to be fair, I got all hyped up with Miami just because I'm thinking Vice City and, and GTA. But when I think about racing streets, I want that smooth, flat road. Yeah. Because we had all the casinos, you know, we had all the themes and all that stuff that we were thinking about playing into. And we had learned so much. Like, it's interesting you mentioned uh, Sunset. So Sunset was the first district that we had designed in Midnight Club 3. And then from that, we learned so much. And then that's why if you notice, if, if you ever get a chance, go back and play Midnight Club 3. Sunset plays very tight, right? It's very precise. You have to be very uh, precision-based on that. You start going into some of the other areas. You go into the beach. You go into downtown. You go into South Central, especially in South Central it opens up a lot more. We learned so much more because because Sunset was the very first area that we had designed out. And from that, we learned all the lessons. And so by the time we got to South Central, which was our DL. DLC. Right, that was like, oh, that was the pinnacle for us. We had learned so much by that. Bump. Yep, yep. As a designer, I'm going to go back into it with my design lens and check it out because you're right. That tends to happen a lot when we make games, right? It's like that first section, we're kind of figuring things out. We're experimenting. Yep, we yep, kind of yep. go with one approach and we lock it down. And then we got to be like, oh, shit, we still got like 80% of the game to put right, together, right. right? And you start applying what you learned from that first yeah. 20. Yep, yep. So that's what it was. And so we started moving from that. It's like, okay, hey, we've learned so much. We're going to do um, Vegas and we were going to do a European city. Any guesses? I definitely would love to hug along the coast is what I'm thinking, right? Like southern France, southern Spain, maybe even some Greece in there and Athens. Dog, we were going to do London. Roundabouts, you got all that stuff. You got the the, the River Thames, you got Big Ben, you got all that stuff. So many good landmarks. We were doing so much research on that city. And you do the... Driving on the left. Exactly. Exactly. Man, we had all that stuff planned out. You know, the double-decker buses. We had all that ready to go. Those are so iconic. Yes. You know, we were doing, like, you know, research on landmarks, you know, Big Ben, Parliament, all that stuff. 
Damn, man. So you guys had a roadmap to keep the franchise going strong. Yep. And then just for whatever reason, they just, just pivoted and then it became Red Dead. Red Dead. And then that's, that's yeah. I mean, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, hey, you know, good call. Right. But I, I, yeah. I think there's there's money left on the table that they can still go back to for, for Midnight Club. Absolutely, man. Take a little skeleton crew. Start paving the way. Because you still, I'm sure there's still Midnight Club blood at oh, the yeah. studio. So I still get some pings about that every now and again. So for sure. Can we toast to the Midnight Club franchise? Sure. Let me uh, let me uh, get a refill here. I love that hearing that cork. You love that? Salud. You think it'll come back out there? I hope so. But, you know, it's been, it's been what, almost 14 years? Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I, I don't know. We don't know, but maybe maybe the next generation listening to this, maybe it'll wind up in your hands. Maybe, you know, maybe, you know, if, if you're, you know, future take two rockstar, you know, head and you've got some position of influence. I think there's something there. Damn, Hefe, there's still so much to cover in what you've done, your career and life on Red Dead and before then. But. Let's cut it off here and let's leave this for a part two. We got to leave the audience wanting, right? So let's give them a little bit of taste of what's coming up. So obviously we still got, you know, some 3DO stuff. Got some Fox Interactive. I don't know if you know about that. Yo, when you talk about Fox Interactive, I'm thinking like Aliens and I'm thinking like Simpsons. I'm thinking like Sega CD type shit. Okay, yeah. You're not too far off. Got that. Got a little bit of a EA that I was at for a bit. What? You EA blood? You EA info? But for a minute, I was an EA head. Yes. I wish they had like an EA directory where I could look up people that used to work there and like get all their credits. And then, of course, Sega. I don't know anybody that's put cartridges together. Because <laughs> here's the thing. All the OGs I know are like PC heads. Right, yeah, so, yeah, they, yeah. so they can't even claim that they put cartridges together or have work on a cartridge. So you are a special breed, and I'm looking so forward to diving in on that. Let's wrap this episode up. I want to end off and ask you, is there anybody that you want to see fall out of play area behind you? So I'm going to do 3DO. Actually, it's my, uh, my boy lives up in Seattle right now, right? So he's local to you. I can like go have like a socially distanced coffee with him. You can. You can. For real. Good cat. We, we met you at, at 3DO. You vouch? I vouch, you, man. You'll make the introductions for me? I will make introductions. My, my man named Savan Dubrovsky. What does he do? He's a designer. Okay. Where does he work? You know, it's been a minute. Uh, okay. I want to that he was at PopCap a minute ago. Oh, shit. Ago. So he's EA Blood, potentially. Right. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. might be EA Blood. I have to catch up. It's been a minute since I've, I chatted with him, but my boy is good. He's good. We bonded over pro wrestling because that, that was kind of like our thing. Oh, Hefe. Yo, thank you so much, bro. Of course, of course. I had a Anytime. blast. It's just not enough time, so let's make sure to, to do the second part. You have any last words for the autoplay area peeps? I'm so happy, you know, we reconnected. It's been a while since we talked. But like you mentioned, last time we talked was at Celis's wedding. Mm-hmm. So it's been a hot minute. So I'm hot glad. I think know, that was what, 2017? Oh yeah. What? Three years? Four mm-hmm. years? Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a it's been a while. It's been a while. So no, I, I'm glad that you you hit me up. I'm glad Ben, you know, uh, you know, name dropped me and stuff. So hey. 
I'm happy that you're doing good, brother. I knew, you know, as, as sappy as it sounds, when, when we crossed paths at, at Rockstar, I'm like, no, this guy knows what he's talking about. I had awesome role models that as I'm in my second spot in the industry, trying to earn respect from all you OGs, that you can be yourself and blow off steam in the middle of the dev floor, shouting at the top of your lungs. <laughs> That I could willingly take part in that and nobody would tell me anything because they'd be like, yo, we're working these guys. We're going to let them blow off steam. And I appreciate the, the words and, and I really do. You know, And I'm glad that at least like on some levels that there was an effect. But I have to admit at that point in time, I was not in a good place. I could have been a better role model and, and at least a better influence and, and at least you know give better examples. I'm much better and in, in, in a much better place. Hey, you learn. Yeah. I could have been a better mentee. I've learned myself as well. And I think this is what this podcast gives me is an outlet to reconnect with you guys as a more experienced, knowledgeable person that knows myself better, that has a chance now to ask you the questions I didn't get to ask you when I worked alongside you. You know what I'm saying? Now I'm getting to do that for the benefit of myself and other people behind me that for sure. aren't so eloquent or don't even know the right questions to ask. Hefe, that's all it is. It's all good. All good. Right, brother. We'll end right here. We'll say to be continued. I don't know if you could tell it, but that Shibui whiskey hit me hard. I felt very loose and caught a little bit of slur in my tongue there in that episode. Hefe's got stories for days. I'm going to continue to beat that drum of empowering your leads and people managers with training and resources to get better at their job and take care of their reports. Give them a budget for team building and being able to nominate and send their reports to go level up at events, talks, conferences, or more. The most senior, most knowledgeable person does not always want to be a people manager, and therefore doesn't make sense that they'll be the best lead. Give your talent paths to pick from for their taste to either become a specialist, you know, a principal or something like that, or be a lead and a director, but let them have the option. Set your team up to succeed not flounder. Were you surprised about any of the mobile game dev practices Jeff talked about? Lately, I'm seeing the lines between mobile and console development blur significantly, especially as that free-to-play model keeps growing and comes to all platforms. Jeff's been a major influence on me. As someone whom let me know it was okay to be yourself and not lose your unique voice at a company just to try to imitate or keep up with the people in power. He gives me hope that we as game devs can find that balance and sustain to figure out how to juggle work and life and eventually make it to retirement age without having to even think about leaving this industry that we love and has given so much as well as we want to give so much to it. I'd love to hear from you, the listeners, what you thought and when I should invite him back for the continuation and for that part too. What questions would you like me to ask? You know, because uh, I have a lot I'd like to know about his time at EA, 3DO, and especially what it's like working at Sega. On the next episode of Out of Play Area debuting on Monday, May 10th, we'll chop it up with Kirsten Quinn, an audio director at Polyarch in Seattle, the developers of Moss, and we'll talk about her extensive background as an audio designer 
across various studios, including Microsoft, Riot, and Monolith, where she's worked on such games as Fable 2 and 3, Legends of Terra, Sunset Overdrive, Condemned 2 and 3, and one of my personal faves, Fear. One of the topics we'll also touch on is building more equitable hiring practices and not crunching your candidates before they've even started the job. If you're curious about audio design, you won't want to miss it. Plus, she has a really cool voice that you've got to hear. Thank you for listening. If you found it enlightening and enjoyed the show, I'd appreciate your support in following the podcast, leaving a review, or best of all, just spreading the word and telling a fellow developer about the show. Every little bit helps get this out there and raise awareness. If you have any thoughts, comments, questions for me or a guest, you can email me at john at outofplayarea.com or call in and leave a message at 760-981-0311. Both links are readily available at the top of our homepage at outofplayarea.com. If you're a game developer who's willing to share their story or knowledge, click on the Calendly button on our site and let's link up. Please make sure to get approval from your studio, PR, or HR team beforehand. Out of Play Area releases new episodes every other Monday on all the major players, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. Please make sure to follow and subscribe so that you see what developer pushes out of play area next time. I'm your host, John Diaz. Till next time, devs, stay strong, stay true, stay dangerous. We out!